Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Deceptively Fast Podcast. Got a special one for you today. I promised you yesterday that I'd start doing a bunch of interviews outside the world of sports, trying to broaden my horizons a little bit, learn about more about this life. Uh, so today I'm going to have somebody that you may have seen last night if you were watching Thursday Night Football ESPN had Vince Wilfork choose a couple people to interview locally to try to get a little bit of this local Houston flavor. So he chose Paul Wall, the rapper, and Bun B, the rapper. Bun B is my guest today. I had a great conversation with him um, and learned a lot about the music industry, learned a lot about his background, but he's a really deep dude who's been at it for a while, kind of one of the old souls now in rap because like the elder statesmen in rap are mostly in their 40s and early 50s so i'm not going to give away his age but that's generally he's around my age but uh he first got his start his big break was when he and pimp c his partner were on jay-z's big pimpin so you've heard him before even if you don't know hip-hop at all you have heard bun b on big pimpin he went on to do several albums after pimp c passed away uh and return of the trill is out right now i've been listening to return of the trill very very heavily if you if you recognize that word if you're a sports fan that recognized trill means true and real the word invented in uh port arthur texas a long time ago, Kenny Trill. Remember Kenny Hill, the quarterback for Texas A&M, called himself Kenny Trill. That's where it comes from. It comes from Bun B, Pimp C, all these guys. And I had a really good conversation with Bun. I've known him for a few years now, but I never got to sit down and talk to him on this level and really learn a lot about his world, uh, his background, and all of that. So please enjoy. Uh, subscribe on the Radio.com app or on iTunes or wherever else. Please leave a five-star Rating on iTunes, that's awesome. People love to see that, and it helps uh, keep continuing to boost the ratings of this show, which is going really, really well. Thanks to all of you guys. So let's get it started. Bun B. This is where I'm, dude, I, I had no idea how hard it was getting all this, uh, like how to do sound equipment. Oh, yeah. Like every little thing, just getting a I, – I bought an equalizer <laughs> and was trying to just take a phone call and everything. How old were you when you started actually recording things? Um, Well, recording at the career, probably 16. 16? Yeah. And you were uh, – you just, just started messing around on your own or with – Yeah, well, guys were already kind of playing with equipment yeah. around town. Pimp was already experimenting with, with equipment and stuff like that. Guys like DJ DMD – um, Avery Harris and those guys around the town, they had equipment, so they had been doing some multi-tracking and a couple of little things, and um, I finally went over to um, this kid, Frederick Johnson, had a little setup. Um, we grew up down the street from each other in middle school, and so uh, when I first decided I wanted to rap, I went over to him because he was the closest guy I knew oh. that had some actual equipment and went over to Freddie's place and laid some stuff down. And that was probably the first time I actually like started laying stuff down. And then actually going into like a, a real recording studio would have been probably late 91, right after graduation. We went to this guy, um, Shatoro Henderson. I used to have a studio out in Missouri City. We used to go to his place. Out there, we would literally drive from Port Arthur all the way down here. Oh, really? Go That's to the studio. Two hours and then, so, right? Yeah, and then, and then drive all the way home after. Trying to get just, it done. And I told you why I, why I called you up for this, uh, to, to have you come in. I was driving home the other day, and you and I are in about the same age. You're a couple years older than me. But I hadn't listened to any 60s rock in a while, so I just asked Siri to put on some 60s rock. Right. And the first thing I thought, like I watched, I, I listened to like three songs, and like it struck me. And I'm talking, you know, Rolling Stones versus Sam Cooke versus any of these other right. guys. Like, there's so much more soul in that 
'60s rock, and and it just sounded so different. And I don't know why I'd never noticed it before. Yeah. But I'm like, all right, I don't I don't know who to talk to about music. <laughs> and I don't know <laughs> right. a whole lot. But what what happened between then and now to where, like I I was listening to those songs and I went home and I kept listening. And I'm having to Google up to see which of these bands are white and which of these bands are black. And which right. Of these songs. I don't have to do that with like Guns and Roses. Exactly. <laughs> so when I'm in seventh grade. I'm what listening else? to Guns N' Roses yeah. too. I, I I grew up on a lot of hard rock. I really think it it, you know, proximity is key. I always go back to everything I talk about and everything in life is built around proximity. Uh huh. And it it's really about where you grow up at. Like you know, you can grow up in Alabama, and you know, you can hear like grow up on Leonard Skinner and stuff like that, and or you can be in Houston or Louisiana and grow up on a lot of blues, Zydeco music, and it's really just. You know, the culture that you grow up in and the people that you grow up around, the environment you're growing up around, and what's the soundtrack to that? Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? And so different people grow up in different areas, go to different schools, have different friends. And, you know, when I went to elementary school and middle school, most of the kids around me were black. When I got to high school, it was more of a mixed high school. So I was still getting the hip hop influence, but then I was also getting like Nirvana influence and Soundgarden and stuff like that. And I didn't reject it. Like, you know what I'm saying? And I think, you know, I think you go back to the fifties and the sixties, everybody was kind of drawing their influences from the same place. Cause you know, rock music was counterculture right. at the time. So you kind of had to go to these little CD bars and these back rooms and, places like that to even hear that kind of music and see it being performed. And so, you know, at that time, everybody that wanted to do, like if you wanted to play guitar, you kind of had to go and check out the old blues guys and mm -hmm. stuff like that and get a sense of it. And, and, and you know, that, 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 that doesn't matter if you're white or black. If you wanted to play guitar and play a certain kind of style of music, you had to go to a certain place to get that from. If you look at the Beatles and all those guys, they'll talk about all that heavy blues influence that they would get listening to music. So it's really just about, you know, the time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now in modern times, and even with the 90s and into the 2000s, there's simply more people doing music. And there's more places to draw information from. And then at that point, you started getting these different staples, like L.A. would have the Roxy, you know what I'm saying, which was an environment that kind of, you know, lent itself to the time and people going to that area to do that music. On the East Coast, you have like a CBGBs where people are, you know, again, trying to be counterculture and going to that place specifically to hear or perform an alternative type of music. And then by the time Seattle grunge comes in in the nineties, that's when all bets are off and there is no singular place where rock music is home to, uh -huh. you know? So it's, it's just really about the time and the proximity of people. And then know? as things start, is there started to be more and more opportunities for different forms of music to kind of branch off and gain acceptance? Yeah. It's almost like it becomes a, like not an imposed segregation, but uh, I guess a, almost like a self-choosing segregation. Well, I mean, you, you know, we always talk in my class at Rice, we always talk about how, you know, you tend to pick people you want to be around either by the religion you practice or by the music you listen to. Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? So it's just about who you want to be around and what kind of vibe and what kind of room you want to be in when you're taken in this particular culture. Um, some people want a laid back vibe, a cool, chill vibe. So they might listen to something a little more laid back and soulful and soulful can go anywhere from like a Lionel Richie to like a Kenny G, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? So there's a very broad spectrum for that. But then there's a specific type of energy that people want when it comes to like rock music, you know what I'm saying? Which is, you know, very communal, you know what I'm saying? People like coming together and, um, it's not really about, you know, doing a particular type of dance or even being in sync with the rhythm. It's really about exerting more energy and just kind of letting loose to the sound. Okay. And where hip hop is usually, you know, the early days of hip hop was built around disco and, and that kind of a thing. So it's very, at the core, dance oriented. So a lot of hip hop music, even though it may seem weird listening to the content of the record, the beat of it is usually designed for people to dance to, uh -huh. you know, and music at, 
you know, music performed at a high level, it can inspire people, it can educate people, it can encourage people, but at the very least, music has to make people want to move, mm -hmm. you know? So it's just about the syncopa syncopation or lack of syncopation you want when you listen to that music. You know, jazz people don't listen to jazz to dance, right? you know what I'm saying? But they, they get into the groove and they have a different kind of connection with the music. So it's really all about what you're into and what you really want to do so in a moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about like almost now like the visual representation of, of, of different music in... I'm thinking of like a mosh pit. Right. I'm thinking of it's all energy, right? Head and like at a jazz club. I'm thinking of just or maybe even like some hipster kind of, yeah. you know what I'm saying, stuff. But the cool thing I saw, I think you were doing an interview with Sway, mm -hmm. and he was talking about how when you're listening to rap when you were in junior high or so, like the mystery of it. And just yeah. the, that everything was East Coast and West Coast. And it was, it was at still that time. yeah. Well, it was still very new, right? Yeah. The culture was very new when I when I first started really getting into rap. Rap might have been, I don't know, as a music art form, 10, 15 years old. So it was still very new. There was still a lack of accessibility to people actually getting into recording studios and getting records released. But you know, there was this this hunt for music because it was it was being released and performed and played so few and far between that you would just be relentlessly always hunting for new music, trying to hear something. And in the earliest days, it didn't really matter where the music came from. You just wanted more of it. Uh -huh. As the market became more saturated, then you started to kind of differentiate between what you wanted to listen to and what you didn't want to listen to. And uh, Billy Gibbons, you know, he, I talked to him about rap music. He was like, that's when he realized that rap music was an actual art form, when he could start distinguishing between good and bad. Because that's when you have real art, when you can tell whether something is really bad or something is really good, and you can differentiate between it, that's when you're dealing with real art and real culture. I'm just letting that absorb a little bit. Yeah, I'm, try I'm just trying to think of my own, my own experience with it and, and with rap and kind of coming to it very slowly over the course of however many years. And yeah, just and you just, you know, you, you get into it, and then, you know, it's like, you know, it's and it's not everyday, all-day music. Like, I'm a rapper. I do it for a living, but I don't even have, like, a radio in my house. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, I don't have a stereo system in my house. And when I do listen to music in my off time, it's not really a lot of rap music. I listen to a lot of alternative music, like Old School Dead Kennedys and Sex Pistols and stuff like that. Or I'll listen to, like, you know, the antithesis of that, which would be, like, a Sade or something. Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. Uh, because, you know, I don't like to bring work home. You know, it's a lot of different energy, crazy energy, and I don't like bringing, I don't, I don't need to be that or in that or amongst that 24 hours a day. Mm. You but know you what I'm saying? But you also got to be, I mean, if you want to be unique in your own field, you got to be able to pull from multiple places anyway. Absolutely, Not absolutely. that you're at home thinking, hey, I'm doing homework. But you got to, but like, it, it well, is a, full of stones. You had red hot chili peppers in there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bring, uh, give it away. Exactly. So it, 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 it really is, man, because you got to, be very careful when your job is information. Like for me, my job is not just music. My job is also information. So I got to be careful what I let take up space in my brain because everything I take in eventually becomes regurgitated back out through the music. So I try to monitor, you know, what I intake, you know what I'm saying? I can only watch so much television before I start getting repetitive messages from that and it puts you in a certain place. You watch CNN all day, you'll feel a certain way. If you watch Fox all day, you'll feel a certain way. And that's not what the way I want to feel all day. So I, I go out, you know, my wife and I, every now and then we'll go downtown to the park, walk through the Japanese garden, you know, walk through MFA or something like that and just kind of reprogram and rewire ourselves, you know what I'm saying? And make sure that we're open to take in a bunch of different stuff because I'm in a position to give people information about things that they probably wouldn't get anywhere else from someone whose whose references they would respect, right? Yeah. You know, like I've I've been around a long time, unfortunately. I'm an older guy now. You you're know what I'm saying? But, old. You're but, old you're old by hip hop standards. Yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah. for you sure. Have, it's like, what you guys you guys are all in your forties. Yeah. Those are the guys like the the elder statesman. We're in our forties and our fifties. Jay Z's now. like forty eight, right? Exactly. Snoop is like forty seven. Yeah, Snoop's birthday is today, actually. Oh yeah, happy birthday, Snoop. Snoop's birthday is today. But yeah, so it's just um but there's still a lot of information to be dissected and broken down, you know what I'm saying? It's we live in a different time now and there's a lot of terminology that's being thrown around. And some of these younger guys, they're not in a position to speak on that stuff. They haven't experienced a lot of that stuff. And no detriment to them, but when you're 18, you know 18-year-old stuff. When you're 25, you know that. I'm 45 now. I've got kids. i got grandkids. So I'm, I'm pulling from different places in my life and in my existence and in my travels. And I just try to bring as much of that information that's relative 
to what some of these guys are going through back to the table. Is that where, and this is where it's going to be interesting, right, for rap over the next, like, 20 years. Absolutely. You got, okay, Bob Dylan, I don't know how old he is, 60, 65, 70? Probably, I'm sure, close to 70. You know, and he performed the other night uh, down the road. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And he's he's still out there touring. He's playing a lot of his old songs. And and I know you probably play a lot of your old songs. Of course. Because that's what what people want to hear. But rap is, rap's going to be a little bit different, right, because so much of it is about, the lyrics specifically and you talking about like it feels like a more personal story well yeah but rap than but it does it, necessarily with it depends on like you know for us at ugk we were very adamant about being prescient in the time and talking about what was relative to the time but like not using terminology that sticks you to a certain year or a certain period, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to talk about cars, you can talk about, you know, we'll talk about Benzes and stuff because they're always going to make Mercedes Benz. But if you start talking about certain models and if, eventually that model might play out or the company changes it, oh, it yeah. does something that goes from the 500 to the 540, the 600 <laughs> to something else. So if you lock in on some of that stuff, then it does sound weird 20 years later. But if, you're, the, if your themes are general about life, right, family, love, friends, work, you know death yeah all that kind of stuff that's relative to the human experience in general if you stick around that stuff then that music is always relative Mm -hmm. you know saying give peace a chance love not war all that kind of stuff still resonates with people because these are people still feel this way 40 50 60 years later and i think for us i think the 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 key thing for hip-hop culture staying alive is going to be the part of it that's that's really more about you know don't take don't take everything so seriously. Don't forget to have fun. Don't forget to sit back and, and enjoy yourself and live your life. But don't forget about your fellow man either. I think music that centers around that kind of stuff and just, you know, more so reckless abandoned kind of thing. Cause as you get older, circumstances are different. You right. You 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 know, the things that you were willing to do at eighteen and twenty one to your body, you're not willing to do at forty five, fifty. You probably can't do. That's the other thing. So and you can't you can't rap about it without thinking about your kids and your grandkids absolutely what you're not thinking about like when you're doing it and you're a young man your kid might be three four years old right but now when you do it yeah my, my kids, kids are much there. older than they get even my grandkids are old enough to know my voice when it comes on the radio so yeah. you want to you know you're worried about which me are they going to find out about you know what i'm saying older wiser more mature me or young wilder crazy me you know but at the same time the fan base ages with you right so what they expected from you when we were all 18, 20 years old, they know not to really expect a lot of that at 40, 45 years old because none of us are really living that wildlife, reckless life anymore. We're all, you know, older. We all got different, you know, responsibilities in life, different things expected from us. But that doesn't mean we still don't want to go back and jam the music and have a good time like we did when we were younger. You know, we don't want to, you know, go out like old fogies, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you still got to be age appropriate. So, if you want to go out and you're 45 and you want to listen to hip-hop, you're probably going to be more prone to the hip-hop that you grew up on as opposed to the hip-hop that's being released right now. When I first met you, we were both doing a show on CSN Houston, the yes. now defunct CSN Houston. That, that was a good run, though. It was that a good was, run. Was we a had a good, good season that year. I well, enjoyed it, was, it. The Texans were 2-14. and 14. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So we always had content to draw from. But it was a fun mix because we had Wade Phillips in from time to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had you. And the thing that first struck me, when I met you and, you know, we're, we're working in that format. And I would say the same thing back when I used to be on the midday shows. We used to have a jazz musician that would call in from time to time. Mm-hmm. And I'd, he doesn't call in now in the morning because I think he's a, he's a jazz musician. So yeah, I don't think he's awake. Right. But um, there was, like, there's a rhythm to the way you talk. Like, you're just, you're a professional. You're a spoken word. I get paid to communicate. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, but you do, it, you do it to a different degree than, say, when you listen to sports radio. And I wonder, what's it like when you, who, your craft is the spoken word, spoken with rhythm, on time and everything, Right. when you turn on sports radio and hear us talking? It's interesting, you know what I'm saying? It's a different dynamic, though. And yeah. the, and the, the uh, adamancy of the opinion and, you know what I'm saying, really trying to... Um, you know, I see a lot of sports talk radio is doubling down on your bets. You know what I'm saying? It's like if you felt a certain way on Friday... Um, about what was going to happen on Sunday, Monday morning, you got to kind of stick to your guns. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And a lot of it is trying to call guys out on themselves or, or different opinions or whatever. But um, it's meant to have a bit of mania to it, right? It's meant to be a little bit of 
barbershop guys kind of talking over each other kind of a thing because when you have those conversations about sports in real life that's kind of what that conversation is like you know what i'm saying it's very wild it's aggressive it's like no no you don't know what you're talking about you know what you talk then it, it could get personal well you didn't even play football so you don't even need to be talking about football kind of a thing and that's just that's more of a real life backyard beer and barbecue conversation yeah that guys are having you know and it's not yeah, it's, it's it's not meant to be. It's not art. You know? Well, I mean, you know, some people can handle their beer better than others. So and that's 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 kind of what radio turns into well, now. And that's where, look, when you watch Stephen A. and Skip Bayless, the same guys who clearly can't handle their beer, right? Yeah, that would be a good one. Drunk, drunk, uh, drunk, drunk Stephen Skip. A. Drunk undisputed would would be really good. Drunk Stephen A. I think drunk Stephen A. could be. Drunk Stephen A could be pretty damn profound, I think. I think yeah, but drunk Stephen A wouldn't, I think, be as loquacious or whatever the big words that he likes to use. That's those true, are. yeah. I think it would be a lot more reserved. Uh -huh. drunk, or he could be a, even wilder. You drunk know, it depends Skip on Bayless what kind might of... get violent. Drunk Skip Bayless might, because Bayless gets a little, he he has an opinion. Well, he yeah, but he doesn't even though. need it. and He doesn't even need it. And I'm not even sure that he drinks because he doesn't even do like caffeinated. I don't think he does because his dad was an alcoholic. Uh, his uh so i think all he drinks is like a diet soda so like so they, they used to tease him about it all the time yeah 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 no he doesn't his dad was an alcoholic you know his brother is a really famous successful chef and they uh, have different they have different takes on what their home life was like where Stephen a says his father was really alcoholic i don't know if he was physically abusive but not a nice guy right and his brother has a different story and I wonder, I don't know how old, far apart they are in age. Right, and that could be a big difference, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, my, my parents, uh, my mom came from a family of five, and, like, the oldest three kids have a completely different version of what their father was like because things, you know, he was a war veteran. I kind of had a similar experience, too, because with my brothers, um, you know, I'm the youngest of four kids, and I'm the youngest by, like, five, five years. So when my brothers were growing up, um, you know, my mom and and their dad were married and together and you know so they grew up in a two parent home or whatever and when i when i came along my mom and dad were going through different things my dad started you know doing a lot more drinking and partying outside of the house and um so the mother that raised me ended up being like more of a single mom divorced working class woman um you know just trying to fight to give me a better life cuz when they got divorced, my other brothers were a little bit older, so they kind of stayed on that side, and we ended up moving over to Port Arthur. So, and I always tell my oldest brother all the time, like, y'all had a fun mom, y'all, you know, then y'all started doing all kind of crazy shit, and now my mom's all stressed out all the time because of y'all, because my brothers were in and out of prison all the time. So she was always worried about them, were they going to be okay and stuff. She, she hasn't really slept good probably in the last 15, 20 years, really? you know, and... And so, like, it's just a different experience. And it's not that my mother loves me any less or anything, but there was a different expectation with me based on the way she felt she raised them and let them be a little bit too loose and let them do a little bit too much too early. So then, like, I didn't get the car in high school and I didn't get a lot of different shit that they got when they were my age growing up. And, you know, it, it, it made me become a better person and a lot more self-reliant you know what i'm saying um but but yeah i totally get that you could be kids with the same parents and have different experiences with that same parent and it took a while for you to convince your mom that you weren't uh selling drugs right yeah uh, yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah, i, I mean because she, she can't get past i'm pimp c bitch right? yeah Without, yeah because she, and, she and doesn't know exactly what you do yeah she, my mom's first show coming to actually see me perform a song was when i performed with the symphony like maybe two years ago. Really? That was the first time she'd ever seen. Because I kept, I wanted to keep her away from it for so long because in the early years, it was not just purely music. There was a lot of other stuff going on that I didn't want my mother around or even to be conscious of. And um, because of that secrecy, that level of secrecy that I kind of had about my life at the time when I started trying to explain that it was actually music, um, she didn't get it. She mm -hmm. was like, I don't, I don't understand. She was like, if you make music, why don't we see it everywhere? Why isn't it? on television and everything, I was like, well, they're a little bit different with Southern artists. And she'd be like, no, because Aretha Franklin's on television and James <laughs> Brown and all these other different people are on television. So you can't tell me that. That can't be the excuse. And so, and then we had a lot of crazy business deals and there was a lot of rough years during that time. And that's just, I didn't want my mom worrying about that. My mom has spent all her life worrying about all my other brothers in and out of prison and that kind of thing. And so I just didn't want it to be the kid that she didn't have to worry about. Right. Even when shit wasn't, Great. I still didn't want to burden her with that kind of stuff emotionally because she was already 
going through so much. And um, as I've gotten older, um, my career has taken a different path in terms of performances. I get a lot of corporate gigs. I get a lot of community stuff. And uh, that was the one where I felt like, okay, this is the room I want my mom to be in when she sees me rap for the first time. Not like a nightclub, not like some big loud concert venue where she'd have to put on earphones or something, but something culturally significant. Um, and it, it was me in the best light possible, you yeah. know what I'm saying? A son on oh, stage in the tux. Awesome for her. Yeah, no, she, yeah, she cried. And my mom really? doesn't, my mom doesn't like to cry in front of me at all because she knows I get emotional, but she was actually very, very, um, very emotional that night. Very, you you very had to proud. been, it had to been cool for you to, call her up and tell her you're going to teach a class at Rice. Yeah, and she she didn't understand it for a while. She was like, how can you teach a class? You didn't even go to college. Yeah. How does that work? I'm like, well, as is, as it was explained to me, Mom, the, the level of expertise I got, that you, you can't get that from a college anyway. So what I bring to the table, you couldn't get it accredited from any university in the country anyway. It's, it's real-life experience in real time. And... Um, but again, just those are the ways that I wanted my mom to see me, not the wild doing drug ways when I was younger, but, you know, a more secure, more mature son and who was capable of doing these kind of things. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom had very high expectations of me. My mom knew I was not a dumb kid. She knew I was not slow. She knew I, you know, I had very good sense. And um, I always made really good grades in honor society and stuff like that. So... My mom always expected the best out of me, so I didn't want to present that part of my career to her until I was presenting the best side of myself, mm-hmm. I think, you know? I like, was, uh, and there were certain things that she would see, like we were number one in like Jet Magazine. Yeah. Like she was like, oh, you really do do music and that kind of a thing, but it was still a wild time back then. That was East Coast, West Coast beef going on and rap was very volatile at the time and I didn't want her to be a part of that kind of stuff. Were you nervous the first day you taught a class at Rice? Oh, absolutely. Probably one of the most you know anxious days I've ever had in my life because I had no frame of reference for it, you know, saying from personal experience, only from what I had seen, and Doctor Penn like was a great teacher. And stuff, and it was yeah. it was real wild, man, and um, I wasn't sure how the kids would receive me. Yeah. Um. Thankfully, Rife is, Rice is a it's a private university, and it's an expensive university, so pretty much everyone there kind of wants to learn. They want to learn these things, and um, it was really fun seeing how kids with no frame of reference for hip hop. Cause a lot of kids in my class were, it's a humanities course, right? It's not a music course or anything. So it's a humanities religious studies course. So a lot of the kids, it's hip hop and religion. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the kids in my class are leaning towards a humanities degree mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Well, we had some athletes, we had a couple of kids from the business school, but the majority of the kids are leaning towards that type of degree. And um, some of the kids in there really just wanted to understand hip hop as a culture better. Yeah. And just to see these light bulbs go off in these kids, on top of these kids' heads and their eyes just widen when they would be like, oh, that's why people spray paint this on shirts today because of this. And that's why people dress like this because of that. And that's where that word comes from. And that's who started this trend and all that kind of stuff. And it was, I remember I did a lecture for um, Jordan does a basketball classic every year with high school kids around the country. And there was a kid, he had the kid and play flat top. Oh, yeah. But had never seen kid and play before in his life. Really? So during the lecture, I'm talking about um, different moments where, like, Jordan Brand and Nike kind of coincide, like, where basketball culture met hip-hop culture. And showing them, like, kid and play in the Air Jordan 3s. And this kid, like, looked, like, wow. And then all the other kids in the class were like, yo, that's, like, he looks just like you. <laughs> and the kids had no idea where the hair came from. They knew it came from an era, but they didn't know specifically who, like, really pioneered that particular type of haircut. So it's it's moments like that where these kids, you know, these light bulbs go off and be like, okay, and they get a deeper resonance of the, you know, deeper understanding and a deeper resonation with the culture. That's that's kind of what it's, it's all about, you, you know? know? And... I feel like there's a almost like a second wave of understanding going on right now in the midst in the midst of people being so combative about things. I think there was a long time for like maybe 20, 30, 40 years where progressive white people could kind of skate by on 
hey, like, I don't use the N-word, and I don't, uh, you know, and the, the, uh, I advocate hiring black people and everything. Right. But without necessarily really understanding the things we don't know. Like, like the, you know, the, the biases and all of those other, other things that maybe, even though I, I know what I think intellectually. Right. It might not be the way I actually process things, you know, and, and. Is you start to as people start to learn about implicit bias and, and privilege and everything because the privilege privilege thing I know it's it's become such a buzzword now right, it's hard right. to have a conversation about it but there's just so many things that like even I like I I like to think I'm a pretty forward thinking person until well we start, all do yeah yeah right? everybody does everybody thinks you see the world the of, way it's of course to be you know um, but some of just the assumptions you make the story. I was talking to my brother-in-law, and, and for whatever reason, for all the things like I know that black kids go through or any minority uh, goes through in this culture, I, it had never really struck me before about how he was telling me whenever he goes anywhere, he's kind of already got a story prepared for why he's there. Right. You know, like, and I never, like, look, I understand, I understand what it's like for a kid to have to go shopping at the Gap as a black kid and that you're going to be, like, and, and how much that sucks. Right. But it never really occurred to me the genuine pervasiveness of it, that, like, everywhere he goes, even now, he just, he he's, that's the way he trained himself over the years, to always have a story. Well, like, I, I mean, go wherever the hell I want. You no, know? But what if you think about it, right? If if a person is suspected of a crime, right? If the police come to you and they suspect you of a crime, yeah. you've got to have an alibi. Well, the presumption for a lot of minorities in this country is that they're going to get pro- be approached at some point in time. So, and in, in the mind is always, you know is always aware of having your alibi already ready, like that you're your a story. suspect. Yeah, already. so that like you have to have... Around. Yeah, that you yeah. really have a bad intention of why you're here, why you're in this space, Yeah. so that you need to have already have, you know, your full reasoning of why you're in this space and what is its purpose and what are you even doing here, what are you shopping for, where are you going, that kind of a thing. Because you know that at some point someone may ask you these questions. Yeah. Someone may pull you over and try to question you about what is your real intention in this space. And it's just it's just for a lot of people, it's just been a fact of life. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it makes it easier to have to go through the day because you can get all bent up about this stuff all the time, but it's just the nature of how some people move in certain spaces. And if you're going to go in those spaces, unfortunately, um, you know, I'm not saying don't go in that space, but be aware of of yourself in that space and be aware of the fact that you will probably stand out in that space and be aware that there will probably be p- p- people that are uncomfortable with you in that space. And and it's it's best to just have that level of awareness. You know what I'm saying? So that when you do move in these areas, if it happens, you're not caught off guard and you know how to control yourself and how to command yourself in that in that predicament you know that's been perpetual for you too yeah because you you've moved into different areas like absolutely you you live in a different area now than in port arthur well hip-hop hip-hop artists for years i tell people all the time were at the bottom of the entertainment totem pole so like there were years where literally you know a punk rocker with a mohawk or something could get a hotel room in the south quicker than i could covered with tattoos and everything um and it's just what people, like I said, it's just about what people are more comfortable with. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Is it, and, were you, did you ever, have you, have you gotten less angry about things or were you never one to necessarily get angry about it as much as? No, I used I to, to I used to, you're not angry I used, about it, I used to get a lot more upset about it when we were younger because the lines were driven deeper in the sand, especially where I grew up in. The the absolute the town right right next to our town was called Bridge City. You basically went to the end of our town, crossed the bridge, and you went to Bridge City. And for years, we were taught to stay away from Bridge City because there were no minorities in Bridge City in the entire town. Vider is literally only about fifteen minutes away from where I grew up. Vider, yeah. So and so it, but you didn't have to be Vider or in Vider to feel the effects of of what people would talk about in Vider. So it was just always this awareness of yeah you're okay in this space but once you leave out of this space and go into these other areas you have to be careful and you have to take a lot of things into consideration i'm not saying don't go i never tell people don't go and don't do things that you really want to do but just be very aware of the potentiality of certain things happening and certain people not being crazy about it and in the age of 
you know, parking lot Patty and shop, supermarket Susie and all these different names, these things that people are having, you know what I'm saying, that I feel like it probably always existed, but there hasn't been really a lot of, you know, footage and kind of calling people on their shit about it. It just shows you that you have to constantly be aware and constantly be, um, you know, paying attention to your surroundings, you know what I'm saying? Because it's not always going to be a violent threat, you know what I'm yeah. saying? But there are people who do have just general bad intentions for other people in this world. Well, and the, the other thing that drove it home to me, just in terms of recognizing the biases that you have, even though you don't think you have, like, or, or how you think you're an elevated person, just a couple different books I was reading recently. One was um, Big Game, which is written by a guy who's, you know, very socially progressive and everything, and he's, he's kind of taking a shot at all the NFL owners. He's interviewing owners over the course of several years. But that book and another, uh, another one that I was reading by a similar, you know, this dude, the, the other book, the guy's definitely liberal as hell. Just the simple thing that whenever you, whenever a black character comes into a story, it's this pleasant African American gentleman. Right, right. Whereas with like the other, with the other characters, it's you not, never you have to point have, out that you like, don't need that kind of exposition for that character. Right. right? You don't you, point out because the assumption is just like, oh, unless I hear otherwise, this is some white dude. Right, you know? right. But you'll hear if it's his Chinese or anything, and like I don't think either of those guys are assholes. Um, right. But there's. There's an expectation that they don't even feel like they need to to explain. Yeah, and then I'm, I know there's a lot of things that sometimes black people will do when they enter certain spaces um, just to let people know, hey, I'm not a threat. Yeah. Kind of a thing. You know, yeah. the way they carry themselves, the way they present themselves. Like you have um, like an extra obligation to be friendly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially, like I said, especially in certain places. Like if you're trying to go into a jewelry store or you're trying to go in Neiman Marcus or something like that. You know, you may pull back on the heavy cultural references and the slang terms or whatever, just so people take you serious and people don't think you're less than or confine you to a certain space. Like we live in this perpetual Julia Roberts, pretty woman space at all times, Uh you know, where, you know, if you don't look a certain way, act a certain way, the salesperson doesn't even want to help you and they have no idea how much money you came to spend in the first place. Yeah. That was, and the question I had, uh, one of the other questions about just sports radio in general is, it, it it comes up from time to time, but there just there aren't a lot of black sports radio hosts who aren't right. prof- who aren't former professional athletes. Exactly. Um, and I I'm surprised that it hasn't become a bigger issue because it's it, you go from market to market, and it's lily white. So like what what's been your experience? Like have you had conversations about that? Well, I think it's the you have to take the user base into consideration, yeah. right? The 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 average listener of sports talk radio is probably a middle-aged white man, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think there's just a familiarity with it, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, journalism, sports journalism, tends to come from people who either played sports or always covered it, Mm -hmm. right? People that move in that space. And I, I think when you talk about sports in this world that we live in, being honest, a lot of the presumption is, if the black guy comes into radio and he's talking about sports, he's probably a former athlete. Yeah. And that gives him a frame of reference that we can respect for the conversation. But again, it's just with the familiarity of the base. The base just doesn't know. They don't probably have those conversations with black guys all the time. You know what I'm saying? Talk about sports unless they're literally at a football game with a black person. And so they don't know if they can have those kind of conversations because sports conversations get very heated Mm -hmm. sometimes. And then when things get heated, someone could cross the line or someone could use a colloquialism that the other person does not feel comfortable with. You know what I'm saying? Um, We know that monkey, the term monkey, a lot of white people don't understand that black people can, if you ever say anything about monkey or gorilla or ape or anything around black people, there's a certain connotation that we take from that based on how we've been referred to in the past in this country. And someone could make a reference like he's uh, he's a fucking monkey. I don't care about him, and and just mean it in a general derogatory sense, not in a racially derogatory sense. But that could trigger a certain reaction or yeah. something like that. Oh, but that's where, and that and that's one thing. Too. And it takes like, it I, away like, from got, sports, yeah. right? It's I've so got, easy from the volatility oh, of these sports conversation. Yeah. Well, can get you out of the trigger now is politics. But right? when you have, and this is the this is the problem, is that we've gotten so sensitive about having conversations, or if somebody has a little misstep in conversation. Like, you know, and it's, and then all of a sudden it's tweeted out and it's all over the place. It's a different dynamic when it's three white dudes sitting around having it because then, and they should be held to a higher standard than that. If I'm sitting in the room with you 
and I'm having a conversation with you, and I slip up and say something like that I didn't even realize. Like, obviously, right. I'm not going to do the monkey thing. I'm not a moron. Um, but like, people are human, though. People but, but, but make right. mistakes, right? It gets, it gets. Then you you say, hold up, Seth. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and and it's well, and you know, and it's different if we're having a private conversation, yeah. and we can address it privately. Yeah. But so many things now happen in some kind of public forum, uh-huh. right? Podcasts, vlogs, blogs. Um, texting, tweeting, Instagram, a lot of these things happen. And we already know that it's very hard to understand someone's intention mm-hmm. with the written word sometimes. like Oh, the written word is so much. You know what the I'm saying? Like, will, the connotation, will, will, the accent, <laughs> like if you misplace a comma or put uh, the dude, wrong... I, I com- live in such fear of the transcript. And, <laughs> and, and, and people will hold you to that, yeah. you know what I'm saying, forever. So it's, it's a very tricky time. Um, people... I always hear people say that, you know, everyone now is just so worried about being taken, you know, differently about what they say. And, um, God, I can't think of the term right now, but, um, you don't want to offend someone socially, you know what I'm saying? But it's like, but I do have an opinion and I feel like I should be able to, to say my opinion. Um, but if it makes people uncomfortable and and then everyone has someone to answer to, right? So yeah. it's like, you know, you could say a lot of things or you could speak your mind, but at the end of the day, you still have to answer to the bosses. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And if you say something that would make the the brand or the company look bad, then you have to be held accountable or else the company's held accountable. You it's, know what I'm saying? Uh, Very know, few people, even though they're speaking their own opinion, are speaking for just solely themselves. Everyone represents some kind of group or collective nowadays. Right, and that's, that's what the beauty of the podcast and YouTube and all that is, that at least people can have a voice without having to have any corporate overlord. Right, but this is me. a mass this... audience. Well, that's where, you know, I would look back to say baseball when it was first integrated or football when more owners started hiring more black players you know most of those owners didn't have like a huge moral imperative most right, of them wanted right. to win they just you know? didn't want to look politically incorrect at or, the or, time at times yeah. change you know or they just right that was what well i'm saying like even you know guys I, ultimately if you can break like down if you go back to like a branch ricky right yeah, yeah. It's just it. Some owners started realizing, like, well, wait a second. Well, like, I want to win. I want to win games. Yeah. And why am I not hiring the black guy? Yeah. For this, but I would say the same thing, and I don't get it, and I don't understand it. Why? I think. I, I think in a culture where man, Friday can be for people my age. So like, yeah, let's say average sports radio listener, middle aged white dude, right? Usually also loves Friday. You know, and, and loves a lot of movies. Loves Eddie Murphy. Loves yeah. all that stuff, like old Coach, school stuff. You know, people watch. You know, we yeah. watch Martin and Seinfeld, right? Right, right, right. Because they're both funny, so right? There's not like to have a rich conversation about things. Like I really think, and it's not some politically correct thing. I think the more diversity, the better, and the more perspectives. Like you're saying with music, like the more perspectives, it's way, way better. No, the more music I've been exposed to, the more music I can kind of create right we've done stuff based you know based off of like a radiohead track or you know dude i don't get radiohead man i can't i love radiohead radiohead might be my favorite band of all time i feel like that's the true test for whether somebody knows it seems like every hardcore music person loves well radiohead's also a great name to drop right in a room full (laughs) of people but most but radiohead is very the music is very technical, uh-huh. and the big thing about them is it's not really the singer Tom York, it's the guitar player Johnny Greenwood, and the fact that he can replicate these musical soundscapes that they create in the studio on stage because the music sounds like it's very complex uh-huh. to create, but they do a real good job of replicating it live on stage, and that's kind of the big thing about them. Is that when you're listening to music, is as a musician, as an artist, <laughs> is that what really blows you away is just complexity kind of done seamlessly it's about how transcendent the music is right it's about creating something that literally takes you to a different place in your mind Uh that's when that's when art is being done at a high form right and it doesn't matter what the art form is right it's when music is being done at a very high form where it just literally takes you somewhere 
every time you hear it, right? Every time I hear Welcome to the Jungle, I'm right back in high school. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Every yeah. time I hear it, it takes me right back there. And I've been able on certain occasions to create music that put people back in a time and a place and into those specific memories. And that's really what music's all about, how deeply the song you're listening to actually resonates with you on yeah. a human level. Oh, no, I, yeah, and I, I was listening to Big Pimpin' on the way over here, you <laughs> know, and it just, it takes me right It'll back to 1999. Yeah, I was 99. Yeah. I, I remember where I was living back then. I remember me and my me and my wife, we, we hadn't been, we weren't married yet. We'd been together for a couple of years, and... Oh, you I, were with Angela then? Yeah, yeah, no, and I remember, kidding. and I remember, um, I remember when it was all happening, because it all happened so fast. Like, we, we did the song... And they were like, yeah, we'll probably drop it in the summer. You know, it'll be like maybe the third or fourth single. Maybe we'll go to Miami and shoot a video. And then the first song that he dropped was him and Mariah Carey. And it just, it bricked. It didn't connect at all. And um, they kept trying to figure out how to save it. You know, it's like, well, the first big single that we shot didn't even connect with people. What are people saying they like? And everybody was like, yo, the Big Pippin song is a really big song. So they... They started calling. I remember it was like maybe the last week of February or something. It was like, yeah, we think we're going to push this song up a little bit. And then like two days later, yeah, we're probably going to make this the next single. And then like the next day, yeah, we're going to, I think we're going to go to Trinidad and Tobago and shoot it during Carnival. <laughs> and then like the next day, yeah, we just got approved for a million dollar budget. So, and it just kept becoming more and more insane, like everything associated to it. And then going overseas and being in this foreign country for two or three days, um, shooting this video, but then Pimp wouldn't come, so we still had to come back to Miami and do some reshoots for the video. And then we literally finished shooting in Miami on a Monday. They cut the video together by Wednesday. They started running promos on MTV for making the video on Thursday, and that thing played on TV like Friday or Saturday. Man. Like, they just turned it. I mean, I really, I really saw what them being like, in the machine with the with the machine working for you, right? right. Actually happening because it was the first it was the first rap video I want to say on making the video. I think the only other rap video had really been like Eminem. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, but we were like the first black artist to have like a making the video, and you then come off from of like, you busted your ass to sell forty thousand albums, right? and and then, and then <laughs> this happens, and, and you already know that there's going to be like a, this huge shift. Everything really changed from that moment because of the level of exposure of the song. It was literally the number one song in the world that year. Yeah. And to this day, you know, any country I've ever gone to or go to, I can play that song or perform that song, and people go, oh, okay, great, cool. People that, you know, I tell them I'm Bum B and with UGK, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I don't know, no. And then um, be like, yeah, I did Big Pimpin' with Jay-Z. Oh, really? Yeah, I know that record, you know. I'm trying so to it's, think it's, of even, like, I'm trying to think of the word, let's see, were there any words in that song that were like, Poor Arthur. You didn't use trill in that in that song. And Big Pimpin', um, you know what? I may, that may be one of the verses where I didn't say trill. But Pimp was very Port Arthur-esque it in was. that song. It was yeah, yeah. I was really more about testing my lyrical metal with yeah. Jay-Z at the time. Uh -huh. So that's why my verse is written the way it's written. How was how how was that verse? Did it change at all from the time like you sat down with No, because I don't I, I don't I don't like pre-write rhymes. So oh, like, yeah, so I write everything on the spot. Really? Yeah, everything you've ever heard from me, I literally go in, they play the beat, I write it right. There's no tablet. You know what I'm saying? There's no I haven't had a tablet since I haven't had a tablet since maybe the twelfth grade. Um now I just started wanting to be more spontaneous because I was I, I find myself like if I write a rhyme no, there's no tablet, I'm thinking of a computer. There's no you don't write it you don't put it on a steno pad or anything. No, it's no, just, everything's in the phone now. I write everything in the phone, okay, but I don't right. I don't like write a rhyme and then go to the studio and try to make it fit. Yeah. I'll basically you know, I'll go in and, you know, I'll play the song and they'll be like, well, this is what we're talking about. And I'll be like, okay, so I'll write whatever's relevant in the moment and yeah. the time to that song. Because if somebody says, hey, we're going to do a song Friday and we're going to talk about cars, you know what I'm saying? And then I write the song on Monday and I talk about cars and then a new car comes out or there's, you know, a release about a new car coming out Wednesday or Thursday that I've missed it because yeah. I've already written a, the cars, the song about the cars. So for me, I like to wait until the very last moment to construct a rhyme so it can be as pertinent as possible. That is ballsy. 
that's just uh, and that's the way you've always worked. That's yeah, but so so because of that, us. there's always an influx of information that I'm taking in at all times because I yeah. never know what's going to be pertinent to the situation yeah. or the song. No kidding, and you got to be able to draw those those pop culture references. Absolutely, all, uh, you know, in the be, moment, you'd be good. Uh, that like that's what like um, late night comedy writers do. Yeah, like you that's, that's just, all. Like, every everything you got. I've write actually written. Jokes a day. I've actually written a spec script for a Seinfeld before. Oh really? Yeah, I've 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 always been like a huge. Um, comedy sketch kind of guy. I grew up watching, you know, the early Letterman shows, yeah. the, the Wilder ones, and uh, Saturday Night Live, and all that stuff, and uh, Johnny Carson. And I might have to commission you for this video we're working on. Right now. I used to want to be Rich Little when I was a kid. <laughs> I used to like Rich, oh, really? Rich. I used to think Rich Little was well, the coolest person in the world because he could be anybody he wanted to be. That was the fun thing, you know. And it's like as music segmented, it was also as everything. You know, we had so many different, more cable channels, more cable channels now yep, YouTube. Yep. But you used to be able to make a reference. And for the most part, everybody would get it, you know, because everybody was watching the same. Everybody TV was drawn shows. from the same pool of resources, right? right? right. That's what it was about. That's and, what we were talking about earlier with the rock music and different things like that. People, everybody wanted to be a part of it, like when MTV came, right? Yeah. I would never have heard of Rod Stewart, If You Want My Body, if it wasn't because of the fact that it was one of the first music videos. Never would have heard of Peter Gabriel. You know what I'm saying? If there hadn't been Sledgehammer. Yeah. You know, definitely would not have had any contact with Dire Straits if it wasn't for the Money Over Nothing and videos. In a, a lot of kids, too. Like, in, That's in why suburbia, you can, like you watch Yo! MTV Raps, yeah. and like you never would have seen that. You know? and like, this, but this is why you can play Take On Me, yeah. right? And Sir Mix-A-Lot in any party in America, <laughs> and it, black or white, and everybody's going to know the words to both of those songs because we were all going to the same place for entertainment right, at the same time. Right, and that's just different now. Just everybody, is the good Cause thing. Because there's something for everybody specifically for them now. Yeah. Right, yeah. like if I, if you like this kind of music done by these type of people, there's a there's a market for it. If you only like hip hop done by West Coast gangbangers, right? There's uh -huh. a whole there's a whole <laughs> world of guys for that. If you only want to listen to East Coast rap by five percent Muslim Nation of Islam guys, there's a whole market for that. You know what I'm saying? So it's whatever it is. They've they is found that, a genre for called? everything. I gotta search that market now. That, <laughs> I gotta go down that. I gotta go down that rabbit hole. Yo, thank you so much no, for having me, Seth. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.